Vincent Werbeck's Derby. If you're a guest here this evening, or it's your first time, my name's Andy, I'm the Associate Minister here at St. Werberg's, and I'm also the student pastor, um, and it's really good to see some students here, I didn't know you guys were going to be here, so um, always encouraging to see a little representation of some of our students. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll crack on. Father God, we thank you for a new year, we thank you for your goodness to us, and we ask that you would speak to us this evening. Amen. Near the beginning of last year, uh, as a team, we were working in an office, and there were times when, when there were occasions when maybe we're not totally as efficient as we should be, and sometimes I need to hold my hand up and say that I might distract some other people. And one of the interns, one of the people that was intern at the time, she said to me, she said, Andy, um, I, bet that you, I bet you five pounds that you cannot stay quiet for an hour. Now, um, I'm not usually a betting man, but I thought this would be easy money, and I fancied some lunch, so I, I took that bet. I thought, okay, this is going to be easy. So, um, for 19 and a half minutes, I was silent as a mouse. Um, apart from, there was one moment when I did knock on the table. I wasn't allowed to speak, I wasn't allowed to make any noises, and I, there was something that happened, and I agreed with it, I just kind of knocked, and she ignored that, thank goodness, that was fine. But 19 and a half minutes in, for no apparent reason, I just went... And if you've ever spoken to me, you'll be aware that I do sometimes do that. It's what, you know, that, clicking gum, clapping really loudly, they are my spiritual gifts. Um, I don't know how they're building the kingdom, but um, it's just how it is, I guess. Um, and one of our interns got a free lunch out of it. Now, why do I tell you this? I tell you this um, because actually all of us have incredibly noisy lives. Um, we, like audibly, there's always noise. We've often got noise in our ears. We're wandering around with screens in front of us. We've got tablets. We've got TVs. Sometimes we've got all three of them at once, and we're multitasking on different shows and things we're doing. And actually, the World Health Organization says that noise pollution could well be a problem for our, our health, um, which was news to me. I think most of us are partially addicted to our phones, at the very least, but also a lot of us experience FOMO. If you don't know what FOMO is, it's fear of missing out. And, you know, we're so worried of kind of missing out what might be going on that we fill our time with stuff, like we don't have any space in our lives. And I heard this uh, advert the other day, so you want to turn your eyes to the screen and we can watch it together. Feeling the FOMO and wondering what you're missing out on? The answer is, not much. Dinner at Millie's. She is so stuck up. Seen it. Spoiler alert. They die. Oh, a date. Hello. Ah, no. Total washout. Just watch it online. And that's art, is it? Sweaty. Yes. Yes, it does. Oh, now this actually looks kind of fun. Ruined it. And can't see a thing. That's not a thing. And no. Just no. Trust. You're good. Right where you are. So say no to FOMO and try JOMO. The joy of missing out with Domino's. So maybe FOMO isn't something we should embrace, but maybe JOMO, joy of missing out, is something we can embrace, but not necessarily just with dominoes with friends, although that can be really good from time to time, but actually for something much better. 
This past week, I read something on the BBC News website that talked about a dopamine fast, which if you haven't come across it, I hadn't come across it. It's a big craze in Silicon Valley, and people spend 24 hours fasting from anything that would give them stimulation. So no, um, no phones, no books, no conversation, no food, um, just 24 hours. And they kind of create some space in their lives. And so it's not just in kind of churches that people are talking about this, but in the world, people are saying, actually, things have got really busy, things are really noisy. And so as Jenny said, we're going to be doing three weeks on detox for our soul. And somehow, I got lumbered or uh, privileged to speak on silence and solitude. Um, and the great reformer, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, said this about prayer. He said, I will tell you as best I can how I approach prayer. May our dear Lord grant to you and to everybody to do it better than I. And that's a little bit how I feel about silence and solitude this evening. I'm praying that you guys will do it better than me, but actually as a, as a community together, as a church, that we'll journey together on it. So it'd be really good to turn to somebody that was good at doing this. So if you've got a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 14. And just to say, if you're here tonight and you don't have a Bible, maybe you've never had one, maybe you're kind of new to exploring this Jesus stuff, we would love to give you a Bible. There are some Bibles over on the, there's a small table just by that pillar. Please do take one. It's a gift from us to you. We really do believe that reading this thing will change your life. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 23. And it will also come up on the screens behind me. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. This is a famous story in the Gospels. It's a, it comes up in all four of them. If you grew up in church, you will have heard it probably many times. Maybe, you, like me, you grew up kind of colouring little pictures of it in Sunday school with loaves and fish. I kind of vaguely remember that. But in the version of Matthew, it comes directly after John the Baptist has been killed by King Herod. And it comes directly before Jesus walks on the water, and we have this incredibly famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. 
Now, just to say, if you're here tonight and you're sceptical about some of the gospel accounts because of the miraculous things, and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, feeding over 5,000 people with a lunchbox, I would encourage you, there's a few places I'd encourage you to go. Um, there's a very small book I read last year by a guy called Peter Williams, who's a Cambridge uh, scholar, called Can We Trust the Gospels? Um, not very long at all, and just worth looking at. And he looks at things like uh, the geography of the area, and he looks at things like the names of the people, and all this kind of stuff to actually say, no, these things are reliable documents. And if you want something a little bit deeper, something you could use maybe as a doorstop if you don't get into it, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses is quite a big book by a guy called Richard Borkham, who again is a scholar, and he transformed New Testament scholarship. He actually um, kind of really changed people's ideas on what the New Testament consisted of, the Gospels particularly. So if, if that interests you, audible, you could also listen to them. Anyway, back to the text. There's a lot going on here, but I want to look just at the two verses that bookend this miracle. We often focus on the miracle, but I want to focus on the two bits, the bit at the beginning and the bit at the end. And verse 13 says, he withdrew, this is Jesus, by boat to a solitary place. So before the miracle even begins, Jesus has withdrawn to a solitary place on his own. And at the end, after the miracle has happened, he dismisses the crowd and he goes up on a mountainside by himself to pray. A few weeks ago, these uh, verses were part of my daily readings. I was kind of reading through Matthew. And it struck me again that the ministry of Jesus seems to go miracle withdrawing, miracle withdrawing. He casts out demons, he preaches the good news, he does miracles, and then he steps away. And we see it in Jesus' life. We see before his ministry started, he spent 40 days and nights in the desert alone. He spent, we find out, whole nights alone. He got up early, he got to a lonely place to pray. And before the cross, when he goes to his death, he spends time alone praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here we have the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, the one whose birthday we celebrated just a week and a half ago. He had a rhythm of withdrawing and spending time with his Father. Jesus didn't have a problem with FOMO. I don't know if you noticed that. He's not going, oh my goodness, I might be missing out over here. What's happening over that bit of Galilee? What, maybe I need to be here. Jesus knows what he needs to be doing. He has the joy of missing out, and he's not missing out at all because he's spending time with his Father. I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus, and thank goodness I'm not, if I had a mission to save the world that I was going to try and complete in the space of three years in a small area, I would try to pack in as much as I possibly could. I'd be going here, going there, going here. I wouldn't be leaving lots of time alone where I wasn't seeing people. And yet Jesus does that. He spends time alone. He sees it as important. He prioritizes it. And you know what, guys, that challenges me. As somebody who's an apprentice to Jesus, somebody who's a follower of Jesus, somebody who's a disciple of Jesus, if Jesus did it, then maybe I should be doing that as well. Before I went to train to become a vicar, many of you know that I lived in southeast London bordering on Kent. And um, while I was there, we, uh, I, I was married, and my wife and I, we both had jobs in London. And that meant an hour's commute each way if the trains were good, and sometimes they weren't. Uh, 
we, we were living near our families, which meant we needed to spend time with our families, not needed, but wanted, but did need as well. We thought that was important. We had friends that we'd grown up with in school, and we thought it was important to spend time with them. We were living on a small estate, and we were trying to connect with them and reach them for Jesus. We were, at the time, leading a 14 to 18s group for a few years, and then we led the 18 to 30s group, which grew to 70 adults across different churches, and we're trying to look at that. We had friends who were in prison, and we were trying to write to them and visit them. We were trying to, I was on the PCC, uh, which is the kind of leadership team of the church. I was also on the leadership team of the church. I was trying to um, plan and lead the monthly contemporary worship service. I was trying to be healthy and go to the gym a few times a week. For my sins, I was a Charlton Athletic supporter and had a season ticket holder, so I was trying to go to there whenever they were at home. Um, we also tried to you know, do the normal things of the washing and the cleaning and the eating and um, a bit of prayer in there and a bit of Bible stuff and just try and keep our marriage alive. And do you know what? I'm not telling this to impress you. We were exhausted. We, we'd get to Friday and I'd be like, oh my goodness, Friday. And then the weekend would come and it would be full and then you'd be Monday again and I was just exhausted. And by the time I got to the autumn before I went to train to become a vicar, I'll be honest with you, I was nearing burnout. I was like, I just can't do this anymore. And it may be that for some of you, that level of intensity is your bread and butter. Your, you know, that's, that's what your life looks like. But I don't think it was honouring God. I don't think it was honouring other people. I don't think it was honouring our marriage. And actually, we had to learn to stop. And God calls us to stop. And Jesus' ministry has lots of busyness, but it also has lots of stopping in it. And solitude is part of that. It's taking time out. In those days when we were in London, I would often start the morning, I would meet people on my commuting to work on the train, I'd then be with people at work, I'd then come back and we'd go somewhere and we'd see people and then we'd have a meeting and it would be people, people, people. And yet actually we needed space of solitude. And throughout the, the years, throughout history, Christians have found solitude important in terms of their spiritual life. And there's a number of things. It comes under what we call spiritual disciplines. And there's not a list. You can't go to the Bible and open it up in Ezekiel and go, ah, here are the spiritual disciplines. There's this, 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 this. But they're things that Christians have found really helpful either in the life of Jesus or life of the saints that help them to grow. In 1 Timothy 4.7, it says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And that's what the disciplines are about. They're things like silence, solitude, study, fasting, simplicity, celebration. They're all things that are really helpful. But it's not, I want to make this really, really clear, this is not about earning God's love. It's not about if I spend you know, five minutes or five hours or five days in solitude, God is going to love me more. It's not if I manage to be silent for 19 and a half minutes um, or maybe a little bit longer, God's going to love me more. That's not how it works. God loves us first and foremost. And so as a response to his love, we want to get to know him better. We want to spend time with him. We want to kind of focus in on him. We want to seek him first. And the disciplines are what help us to do that. So it's not doesn't flow from earning, but it flows out of his love for us. About 40 years ago, a guy called Richard Foster wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. It's become a real classic in thinking around these disciplines. And I would really encourage you to listen to it, to go away and buy a second-hand copy of it. It's not massively long, but it kind of goes through these things. And it really will help us in some of our Gs, in the idea of grace and our own personal growth. And Richard Foster writes this, 
God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. By themselves, they do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. The path is of disciplined grace. It is grace because it is free. It is discipline because there is something for us to do. Does that make sense? So basically what the disciplines do is put us in a place where God can transform us. So taking time out from our busyness and spending time alone allows us to spend more time with him. That's kind of how it works. So that's what the solitude is is about. And you can see that in the life of Jesus. Solitude again and again and again. But what about silence? We don't see a lot of silent prayer from Jesus. Jesus' prayers tend to be him asking of his Father. But there were times when he spent whole nights alone. And if you spend a whole night in prayer, you're not going to be able to talk constantly through a whole night of prayer. Um, Not even I could do that. And so therefore, Jesus must have spent time alone silently. But we do see um, in other parts of the scriptures, God saying, be silent. In Zephaniah it says, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. In Habakkuk, it says, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. In the book of Job, it says, listen to me, be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. And then even in the heavenly worship that we see in Revelation, it says, when the Lamb, who's Jesus, broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So it is in there. Silence is in uh, the scriptures, and it's encouraged. But how do we go about solitude and silence? Well, towards the end of this season of my life, which I just shared, kind of, which was a bit manic, I'd been reading about, Chris, about kind of retreats, and I thought, okay, life's pretty busy, I'm going to go on a retreat. So I booked up 24 hours from one evening to the next in a friary down in Kent. I thought, right, this is going to be, I'm going to be really spiritual now. I'm going to take my Bible, I'm going to take some books to read, I'm going to take my journal, and I'm going to get on it, I'm going to press into God, um, I'm going off to train for ordination soon, this is a really good time to kind of really get in on this and press into who God is. Do you know what? I kept calling my wife. I'm like, Rach, uh, I've had another hour. Like, I've got another, you know. And I, kept, I was like, Rach, I'm just feeling really low. I'm just really struggling with this. Uh, I call up and say, Rach, like, you know, just like, come home. You know, eventually it got to the point where I came home. I left before I even got to the end of 24 hours. And I said to myself, I'm never doing that again. I can't do that. I'm not a silent person. I'm not good at being silent. They're just obviously not for me. But over the years, over the last 10 years, um, I've often began to now put in just little bits of silence. You see, the problem was, I was going, right, I'm going to spend 24 hours pretty much in silence and solitude, but I didn't even have five minutes in a day. That's like you and me, if we're the sort of people that walk down to the shop suddenly going, I'm going to sign up for a 10K with no training and thinking we can just run it just like that. Maybe a few of us could, but I couldn't do that, and I suspect many of us here couldn't. You're just jumping in too deep. So what we have to do is kind of just put a little bit in, and I began to do that. I've also began to try and have a day of prayer a month, which I found really helpful. I I don't always manage to do it. Um, I found that from June to November last year, I hadn't done it, so I've put them into my diary this month, and hopefully that will work. But I've found that just by kind of putting little bits in, I can gradually build up on silence and and solitude, whereas before, just kind of going bang 24 hours was not going to work for me. I also need to admit that having kids and doing kind of church stuff does make me find silence a little bit more easy because it's just constant people and you're like you begin to desire that even as an extrovert 
So, what do we want to say about silence? And we've looked a bit at solitude. Um, One of those scriptures about silence says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I don't know if you've ever been anywhere where you've, you've been to and it's just been so beautiful, so awe-dropping, so majestic that you've gone and you just don't know what to say. I was looking back over some holiday pictures uh, just recently and I was reminded, Rachel and I, about 10 years ago, we went to Bali in Indonesia. And I'd never been outside the West. I've been to the States where my dad lives. I've been a bit to Europe, but I'd never been to Asia. And... It was just incredible. I remember we, we, we went and we sat and we had lunch at this place. It was like a terrace. And we're looking out on this volcano with rice terraces. And I'm just like, I didn't know what to say. It just blew my mind. I felt like I was in a postcard. Um, just, just didn't know what to say at all. I just can't, that's amazing. It's just amazing. Just sit in there. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience of sitting somewhere or being somewhere and not knowing what to say. But actually, those moments are just fragments. They're just kind of glimpses of what it will be like when we see the majesty and the glory and the beauty of who God is. And when we have silence and solitude, it gives us an opportunity to press into him, to catch glimpses of his beauty and his majesty. Another way silence can help us is, in Job, I said it says, God says, listen to me. Be silent and I will teach you in wisdom. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Elijah where, God, um, where there's kind of wind and fire and an earthquake and there's all this noisy stuff going on. And Elijah discovers that God isn't in any of those, but God's just in the still, small voice. And the problem is when we're filling our ears with stuff and we're filling our eyes with stuff, We're not going to hear the still, small voice. And so silence and solitude give us space, give us the opportunity to hear the still, small whispers of God. It's another reason why it's worth doing. A third way silence can be used is in worship. Now, in Revelation, it talks about there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I love how John's kind of like, yeah, it was about half an hour of silence. I mean, was it, did he have a clock? Was he timing it? I don't know. It's just a bit random, isn't it? But if half an hour of silence in heavenly worship, um, if half an hour of silence is good enough for heaven's worship, actually, is there a danger that in our worship here, both corporately and privately, that we rush on? There are times, and sometimes here when we do it, I know Matt, sometimes the, the music will stop and everybody goes, oh, has the power gone? Has Matt lost his voice? Is it okay? But actually it's just times to go, no, we're just going to wait. We're just going to see what God might want to do. I think that's worth considering in our private time. So, what, if, you, if you were going to go away from here this evening and say, right, okay, Andy, I'm going to try this silence and solitude thing, what might it look like for you this week? Well, there are two things that you can really quite, that Christians quite often do in silence. And the first one is meditation. Now, I don't mean kind of meditation in an Eastern religion style of meditation, but I mean meditation in a Christian way. So Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one, dot, 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 whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So Christian meditation is very much about kind of chewing on the scripture. It's about reading it and, not just, and kind of understanding it, but allowing God to speak to you through that. 
It could be that you take a bit of a psalm. It could be you take one of your favorite passages and you just kind of have the scripture open and you, in the quiet, you just allow, you kind of read it and you think through it and you allow God to speak to you as you do it. I don't know if you've ever done that before. But that would be Christian meditation. And, it's, but, and, and what it does is, I don't know if you've, if you've ever had moments of silence and you suddenly think of that person that you haven't spoken to, to five years, spoken to for five years. Or perhaps you think about the things you need to get for shopping next Wednesday. Or perhaps suddenly you randomly remember the exchange rate for pounds to euros from last July when you went on holiday. Like suddenly all these weird things pop up in your mind when you're having moments of silence. And what meditation, Christian meditation, in terms of filling your mind with the scripture does, is it can help to stop some of that bouncing all over the place, which most of us are very prone to do. The other thing, apart from meditation, is contemplation. And this is more of the kind of stilling your mind, stilling your heart, being still and knowing that he's God, being aware of who he is and who you are. And I would always want to encourage you, if you're new to the Christian faith, get your, get your time into the Scriptures so you begin to know the character of God and who he is and what he's about. Because the thing about contemplation is that as God speaks, occasionally you'll go off on weird tangents. But if you know the Scriptures, you can kind of measure what's being said by what the Bible says. So let's say you've got some time of contemplation and you're listening to God and you get this picture of you, know, you bowing down to an angel go, actually, wait a minute, I know the scriptures say that we're not meant to worship angels, so that's just me. That's not God. But actually, there are other times where God will speak to you through that. And so I would encourage you to kind of um, do that. I would encourage us to get out of results-driven thinking, you know, sort of thinking, right, I'm going to spend half an hour in contemplation. You know, I need to get something out of this. Actually, if you've got a really good friend or a family member or, or a partner, you're not going, right, I need to spend half an hour with them and I need to get something out of that half an hour. You just enjoy being with them. And so you're going to spend half an hour with them. It's not going to be, what did I get out of that? You just enjoy being with them. But the other thing is, if you're a relatively busy person, you probably need to prioritise spending time with them as well. Because your time will fill up. And it's a bit like that with God. If you don't prioritise it, you don't put it in the diary, it probably won't happen. So think of it in that way, spending time with a person that you love and care for. So practically, this is about, I want to encourage us in this January to begin to spend time with Jesus. Maybe some of us already do, but I, I know at the beginning of a new year, some of us will be feeling guilty, thinking, Andy, Andy, I just don't do this. I'm not very good at this stuff. Can I encourage you? Start small. Think, don't sort of think, right, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up at three, and then I'm going to kind of spend time on my own in silence and solitude from three until seven, and then I have to go. No, start with something five, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Don't kind of start huge, but start with something that's manageable and build up from there. Don't worry if you don't feel anything. It's not about what we feel, it's about who he is, and it's about trusting him that as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. You might want to set a timer so you're not constantly going, right, I've had 30 seconds, right, I've had a minute, I've had two minutes. You might want to say, Alexa, can you set a timer for five minutes? And if you've got Alexa, then she'll tell you and it'll be fine. But it, just helpful things like that. I would encourage you, um, find a regular place and time to do it. So it may be that you have a particular chair that you go to. It may be you have a particular place that you sit. If you're a very active person, it may be a particular walk that you go on where you know you're going to spend time on your own in silence with Jesus. Make it part of your wider time with God. So 
And again, this isn't a condemnation thing, but actually as part of our time with God, really good to read the scriptures, really good to praise him, really good to say sorry for where we've messed up and got it wrong, really good to ask on behalf of others and ask on behalf of us. It's pray, pee, praise, um, uh, repent, ask for others, pray for yourself. Really helpful to do that in time with him. And then slot silence into there. And if you don't do that, don't feel bad about it, but this is a great time to start. January, beginning of new things. Say, I'm going to spend five, time, five minutes with Jesus tomorrow morning, which may be five minutes more than you did last week. If you're a 10-minute person, if you're a 15-minute person, great. And if you're one of those people that does three hours, bless you. We need you. Um, genuinely, we do. Um, it's fantastic. Can I encourage you? If you're a person who is privileged enough to get a holiday... Look at some point this year to book in 24 hours with Jesus. It might sound like, oh my goodness, how on earth would I do that? But actually there are retreat places, there are places we can do, places we can book things out. If you see this as important, if you really want to press on in your relationship with Jesus this year, put something into your diary. And maybe you don't use a diary, so I just call eyes of somebody that doesn't, I found that didn't use a diary. So if you don't use a diary, put something in there. It'd be really good to begin to do that and just prioritise that. Somebody once said, divert daily. Withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Guys, I want to encourage us this evening. Let's not have FOMO, a fear of missing out, but let's have a joy of missing out some of the rubbish as we press in to who he is in times of silence and solitude. And you know, as we do that, we're going to become more Christ-centered. And as we become more Christ-centered, God will use us in transforming the city and beyond. I think the only kind of appropriate response to that is actually to spend a minute in silence. That may freak some of us out, but we're going to do that. And then another response would to step that up would be Wednesday night. I, I would invite, Aunt Jenny already has, but I'd invite you to come down Wednesday night and spend some time in quiet prayer. There'll be, there'll be various ways to pray Wednesday. But actually, book that out at the beginning. Say, Lord, I'm going to start strong with you this year. It's a great way to start.